Hi everyone, it's Damon Klotz, host of the Culture First podcast. Before we get started with this episode, I wanted to take a moment to say a big thank you to the thousands of people who've joined us at our Culture First virtual events this year. At this year's events, we've heard from fantastic keynote speakers like Susan Kane, Dylan Alcott, and Valerie Jarrett. Our team of data scientists and people scientists were crunching millions of data points to bring the latest research to attendees. And speaking about the research, CultureAmp customers learned how our latest products are helping companies close the gender gap for a more equitable employee experience. If you're sitting there saying, hey, Damon, I wanted to see some of that content. Well, don't worry. Our sessions from Culture First APAC and Americas are now available on demand. You can click the link in the episode show notes or just head to cultureamp.com to learn more. All right, let's get started. Culture first. 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 I'm Damon Klotz, and this is Culture First. If you have attended a Culture Amp event before, you'd probably be familiar with this concept of the belonging badge. They actually started at our global conference in 2018. Back then, when you entered, you'd get physical badges that you could stick on a lanyard. But these days, they're just digital tags that all attendees from our virtual events can be wearing on their profile. Now, to give you an example of what some of these badges were, you could select from things like anxious, privileged, veteran, pet person, grew up poor, and single parent. In the past, I would have always gone for the extrovert badge. You just naturally assume that people who like to speak on stage or host podcasts would reach for the extrovert badge. Over the past few years, though, I have found myself taking the ambivert badge. Now, over the past few weeks, I have been back in community with people and on actual stages speaking. And I won't lie. I get a lot of energy from being part of an experience like that. But then, afterwards, I crash. I really need some alone time in order to reflect and take in all of that experience before I could even think about re-emerging and doing it all again. Now, the beauty of the belonging badges is that while the descriptors that we reach for stay the same, the person who reaches for them doesn't. We all adapt ourselves to the environments we find ourselves in. I find it easier to adapt and communicate my needs when I'm feeling mentally well. For me, being mentally well means getting high quality sleep, drinking a lot of water, increasing my intake of things like green foods and juices, and really feeling connected with family and friends. I've also benefited from working with therapists and coaches. I'm the first person to advocate for the power of working directly with a professional if you feel like you need direct support. Ten years ago, I think you'd find that talking about things like belonging badges and your own personal mental well-being recipe was probably taboo in the workplace, let alone something that you'd be airing publicly on a leadership podcast like this. But luckily, times have changed. Mental health is a subject that I will always talk about. 
Over a decade ago, I co-founded a social enterprise in Australia called Spur Projects that focused on stigma reduction and behavioural change to help reduce the suicide rate of men in Australia. Fast forward to today, and many organisations are now playing their part in helping individuals learn about mental wellbeing and find out what works for them to help them take the action when they need it. And one of those organisations is Unmind. On World Mental Health Day this year, Unmind and CultureAmp launched a strategic partnership to harness our company's shared skills and depth of research around employee experience and mental well-being. My guest for this episode is the co-founder of Unmind, Dr. Nick Taylor. This episode is not a press release or just a regurgitated blog post that you could read somewhere else. It's a really honest conversation from two passionate mental health advocates talking about their experience at work. We'll also cover the role of individuals in taking control of their own mental well-being, and we're going to try to normalise the use of words like grief and collective trauma in the workplace. Now, I'm going to give you two timestamps that I would like you to really uh, listen out for. There is a part that I'd like you to focus on and share with others around the 16-minute mark, where we're going to talk about disclosure. I really wanted to speak about, about disclosure with Nick because... I think we don't think about it as often as we should, about why it can be so hard to even have a conversation with ourselves first about our own mental health before we would even think about talking to someone else about it. Why is it that we find it easy to disclose to a colleague if we've had a bad night's sleep? But for many people, it can be really hard for us to say that we're feeling anxious, overwhelmed or depressed. Disclosure starts with the individual. So there will be tips here to talk about the hierarchy of individual disclosure and how we can help leaders within the organization and the workplace have better mental health conversations. So make sure you also hang around to this other little timestamp, which is at the end of the episode, where I titled a special section of questions and I entitled them the challenges of managing humans. So if you manage humans, that section is for you. All right. Let's get started and head over to my conversation with Dr. Nick. So today on the Culture First podcast, I'm speaking with Dr. Nick from Unmind. So firstly, just want to say a big welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. So, we're recording this episode in October of the year 2022. World Mental Health Day is October the 10th. I can imagine that it's been a busy week. It's been a busy month. It's been a busy year. It's been a busy pandemic. I'd like to maybe just start with a question like, how are you personally doing right now? Oh, that's a, that's a nice question to start with. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's a funny, it's always a very busy time for us at Unmind, as you can imagine, and, and for, for all of us in the mental health community. Um, and and we work so hard up to this date and it's actually it feels like a real celebration when it comes because it's a real opportunity to have lots of conversations around mental health in forums that we might not otherwise have the opportunities to speak in it's really in the front and center of people's minds so i feel very energized and excited by that those conversations but also um we have we don't have an, an all hands we have an all mind at unmind and that's next thursday uh, after a lot of the events have happened i'm really looking forward to celebrating with the team when we get through it so i, I know everybody is is pumped but but also um we're, we're, we are 
operating on full steam. So a degree of tiredness as well. <laughs> yeah, I think that when you have a, like, I guess such a large pinnacle event, one that is literally, you know, like that the World Health Organization calls out, it kind of really does galvanize everyone around that conversation. But with that comes a lot of pressure. So I'm sure it's, a, it's both a busy and an exciting time for you and the rest of the team there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it is incredible, isn't it, that it's called out by the likes of the World Health Organization. And because it wasn't that long ago that that wasn't the case. Um, mm. So it is something really to to be grateful for that there is this degree of volume around the topic at this time of year. So for people who've listened to this show a lot, um, you would know that I've covered the topic of mental health in uh, previous episodes. We've had whole episodes about mental health, as well as the fact that I try to weave it in as part of this idea of just talking about humanity at work. But I thought to start this conversation, it'd be really nice to share my aim with the audience, just so they know how we're thinking about this conversation today. So, you know, my aim for this episode is to have a really open and honest conversation about humanity in the workplace, about how we are coping and how we're not coping, what we can do as individuals to increase our whole well-being, as well as the role of the organization to create an environment where we can be whole as well. And I re really hope that everyone listening, whether you're leading a team, maybe leading a department, or the entire organization that you just leave ready to have a really important conversation about mental health in the workplace. So, how does that sound for you, Nick? That sounds great. All right, let's do it. So, uh, people know that I like to warm up my guests with a few little check-in questions, but I've got a bit of a twist on these ones. So, first, as the CEO of Unmind, I've got a, a little bit of a different question here. If a curious 10-year-old walks up to you and says, excuse me, Mr. CEO of Unmind, what do you do for work? How do you describe Unmind and how do you describe your job? Oh, it's funny you should ask that question because I have a five-year-old son and I asked him recently, um, what do I do for work? And he said to me, you talk to people and make choices. And I thought <laughs> that was the best description of my job that I've, I've ever heard. Um, so that was a really good childhood description of my job. Um, and in terms of what do we do with Unmind, we help people to look after their 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 minds we help people look after their how they feel that's how i describe it to a child i talk to people and i make decisions i feel like we should all get that on a t-shirt just to remind ourselves that sometimes life can be as simple as that it's quite funny isn't it because he must have watched me over covid and all the lockdowns and just that that must be his conclusion of my work <laughs> so but when he said it i thought it's, it's a really good summary because that's basically what i do does your answer differ if you're speaking to a venture capitalist or is it the same answer for what does Unmind do? <laughs> it's a little bit more nuanced. When I'm talking to a venture capitalist, um, I really talk about how the historic approach to mental health has been too heavily focused on illness and waiting for people to become unwell before we think about what treatment we can provide them, as opposed to actually how we should approach all areas of healthcare, which is focus on prevention. Um, it's why we brush our teeth in the morning. It's why we exercise. It's why we um, eat well, sleep well, because we know preventative approaches are best with healthcare. But with mental health, it, historically, we've not taken that approach. And, and that's really what Unmind was predicated upon. So I thought to start this episode, um, you know, you get access to a lot of amazing companies, a lot of interesting data. And I wanted to do, I guess, a bit of a, a, a check-in about our experience right now. Um, you know, it's been a couple of years in this new environment that we found ourselves in. Uh, back in 2020, I did a series on, on the Culture First podcast called Working Through It, where I kind of felt like I was a bit of a guinea pig for our experience of trying to work through these uncertain times. And I'm not sure about you, but 
you know, I think for me, I I think to expect people to be okay right now is still a bit unrealistic. I know maybe some people feel like we have come out the other side. Maybe some people still feel like they're in it. But for me, my experience is that like I'm still trying to emotionally regulate the experience of working through this time. And I still think that there's a lot of uh, grief, spoken, unspoken in the workplace. And I don't think that's a word that gets used a lot in the workplace, but I wish it was. I think what I'm sort of seeing is that we're seeing physical we might be grieving a physical workplace, maybe colleagues we used to work with or a structure that used to reward certain ways. Um, so, like, I wanted to do a bit of a check-in with you. Like, these are some of the things that I'm thinking about. I don't think that everyone is coping as well as maybe society is trying to paint. What are you seeing right now? I really like that use of the word grief, actually. And I think maybe we don't reach for it enough because uh, and there have been multiple p- points of grief over the past period, haven't there? Like, in- initially when COVID hit, we lost a way of life um, and we had to react to that and change life and change is hard. Um, and then people, many, not everyone, and there are so many different stories of, and different journeys people took through COVID, but for some people, they found a new life and a new way that worked better um, for them. And then they lost that when this return to post-COVID world started happening. Um, so that, that again was a period of change and challenge. I think what's what's really important here is to recognize that our mental health, you know, we're not islands that are disconnected to the world around us. Our mental health is informed by what's going on in our life and um, what is often called like social determinants of health. So we know that we're we're in many ways living through a kind of age of multi-crisis at the moment. It's either climate change or it's um, you know cost of living crisis or it's health pandemics or it's world recessions or it's geopolitical instability you know, there's lots of big things going on there um and and they actually do have an impact on on us as human beings and and will impact on our health and well-being um and of course they also impact on how our businesses are which then in turn impacts on how our life is so it's good to acknowledge that all of the feelings are complex at the moment um and it's a challenging time to live through as a human being and i think it's really helpful to use words to describe that such as grief or kind of anxiety or whatever um and we know also like if, if you look at the the research in the first year of covid um in the lancet there was an article published that showed that there was a global increase in prevalence of anxiety and depression by the tune of 25 percent, which shows how big an increase uh that is in, in mental illness and and then what's what's scary is that that economic climate impacts on health very significantly and the president of the royal college of psychiatrists recently predicted that the impact of the cost of living crisis would have a pandemic level impact on the mental health of people so if that's right which i suspect it is then we can forecast that we're going to see another increase in mental illness as a result of the this new crisis that we're going into yeah, it kind of feels like any way you look, there is going to be some sort of thing that is requiring your attention or at least maybe not even requiring your attention, but like deserves it, right? Whether it's the geopolitical, you know, nature of the world right now with things that are happening in Ukraine or Iran, if you're looking at economic uncertainty and how that plays out at the individual level for a family all the way up to the organization, um, you know, I think leaders are very aware that we're operating in uncertain times. And that, you know, that employees might be struggling right now. I did read a, a study recently, um, I believe it was by Deloitte, that kind of said that employees are recognizing that their mental wellness isn't great right now, but leaders actually think that their wellness is higher. 
So that like employees are saying like, I'm not coping, but managers think that they're coping better than they actually are. So I wonder what your take is on that. Do you feel like maybe leaders are a little bit out of a loop about how well or not well that their their teams are doing right now? So that's a really interesting question, though, isn't it? There was between um, 2019 and 2022, there, the number of employees at risk of burnout increased by 29%. So we we, we know, and that, that was a Mercer report that showed that. And it's, so we know that there is a... Um, there has been a, a an increased prevalence of people at risk and an increased prevalence of mental illness. But we also know, um, I think it was McKinsey um, did a report recently that showed that employers um, rate the work that they're doing around mental health as um, 22% more favorably than employees see it. So, so in other words, organizations perceive that they're doing a better job than employees feel they're doing. Um, so I think it's really interesting that disconnect and it, and it does show the importance of listening to employees and it shows the importance of data. Um, but it also shows the importance of education because uh, leaders are often going to be in a, in a, an advantaged position in life. They might have better uh, access to finance, a more secure like um, financial life and perhaps a bigger home to live in, perhaps more autonomy in their, their roles and, and perhaps their sphere of their view of the world perhaps can become too dominant to the point that they perhaps don't consider that their team's world might look very different and feel very different. And um, so I think we need to, we need to think about data education um, and listening, but we also need to be compassionate to leaders as well, because it's also not easy to, to Mm -hmm. understand the, the mood of your employees well at all points. Yeah. I think that is, uh, one of the most common conversations I've had this year is that when I think about humanity at work, I deeply think about an individual's experience as just being one human inside of an organization as part of society and what they're experiencing. But then also, you know, through my kind of part marketing, part HR brain, I think about personas and the personas where we can do the best work. And I think managers play that role, which is like, if you can, uh, increase the resilience and the well-being and the infrastructure and the support around a manager, they have that ripple effect for the rest of that team. You know, if, if, if they are feeling well, if they are feeling supported, if they feel like they have access to resources, they can increase the psychological safety of their team. They can make sure that that team feels like they have more support. And, you know, I think that's why it's this like constant need to like, yes, let's focus on the individuals, but there's certain individuals inside of the organizations that just have this much bigger impact on how the rest of us actually experience the workplace. Yeah, I, that's a really interesting topic. And the theme of that topic is interesting. So if you think about how the trend of well-being has happened at work, it's it's historically been very focused on the individual. Um, and and there's good reason for that. That's a reason. Let's not say all of that's wrong. We still must provide the individuals with support for their own mental health. But but it comes back to the social determinant piece again, which speaks to the fact that the environment the individual is in will... Uh, impact on how able that individual is to flourish um and it's a little bit like if you take a if you take a seed and you put that seed in the wrong soil with the wrong water and the wrong light that seed is not going to grow into a beautiful plant but if you put that Mm. seed in the right water in the right soil with the right water and the right light it has a great chance to flourish and become the plant it can be and human beings are not that different in that respect And, and in in this example with the workplace that workplace is the kind of pot and you know managers and leaders can play a pivotal 
role in fostering the right culture that facilitates our employees to flourish. And and I think for for leaders to do that well, we need to educate them. We need to um, um, provide them with insights and data. Um, and 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 critically, I think with the because you and I are both passionate about mental health. As many people we know, and if we live and breathe this, we think about it a lot, and, and the impact of culture and all of these things. But for many people, it's just not whether it's not their thing. And so um, we there's a we must always remember that the journey we need to take everyone on as a leader to understand this topic. Um, but also, I think it's so important that we see this as a long-term game as well. There isn't a, there's no a quick fix here. There's an amazing uh, psychiatrist in America called Thomas Insel and, and a highly, highly accomplished man and, and lovely man. And he, um, he, he said in his recent book, he said, nothing about healing our mental health crisis will be simple. Um, and I love that really, because it, 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 it's so important to recognize that this, it takes, this is a long-term play. This takes perseverance um, and critically, when it comes to educating our leaders and empowering our leaders to lead well in the topic of mental health, it needs to be continuous and multifaceted and um, and fit around their busy schedules. Um, I think the way we've historically thought about educating leaders around mental health resembles kind of like a Victorian bathing habits. You know, it's like once a year type event, um, whereas actually what it needs to resemble is like the modern showering habits. You know, it's like every single day, you know, there needs to be a kind of uh, kind of piece of information or uh, empowering of that leader to lead well around mental health. So I think we touched on, um, you know, some of the things from an organization uh, perspective as well as a manager. And I want to I want to come back to that towards the end. But I think. Although, um, you know, we just mentioned this idea about like, you know, this is not just an individual thing. I think maybe sometimes from an organizational perspective, we can be really focused on just the individual. But, you know, I think this is where this crossover, where I think about this stuff, which which is like an individual is, is a part of society first, right? And I just want to talk about maybe the difficulties of disclosure when it comes to mental health as a human first, before we try to tell managers how to like have more conversations about it and tell employees to open up. Because I just... You know, to me, I don't know, like my own work around stigma reduction in the mental health space is, has been focused on how hard this can be for an individual. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to kind of touch on this subject about the difficulty of disclosure. And it is a complex one because, you know, to open up to ourselves first is incredibly vulnerable and challenging. Then to imagine how hard it is to open up to a partner, you know, someone who you trust and you love. You know, these are incredibly hard things to do. So, you can only imagine how much harder this is going to be in a workplace telling a a colleague that you're struggling or even like the idea of like, we're going to talk about creating psychologically safe environments and talking to your boss. But like, we have to remember that, you know, a boss is someone who, yes, they can provide more accommodation and more support to your needs, but also like they're responsible for your performance and they can fire you and they can, they're responsible for your compensation and all these other things. So, it's so complex to know that that this, this disclosure does come with risk. Maybe the risk is being vulnerable with yourself and saying that you're not okay. And the risk can be telling your organization that you're struggling. So, considering that, you know, we're having this conversation so close to World Mental Health Day, I want to kind of just get your thoughts on the difficulties of disclosure before we try to tell every manager out there to go have a conversation with their team. I think it's really tough. I, and I think we need to be honest about it. I think I really love the question and the, re- the acknowledgement you're making around this. Um, I don't think we all get it right all the time. I could, I've definitely got it wrong at points. Um, and even my, myself, and I find it difficult to disclose how I'm feeling and sometimes it's because you don't recognize how you're feeling 
Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that empowering people to track their mental health is so important. It's one of the things we're really passionate about at Unmind because then it helps us check in and understand what's going on. Um, and sometimes it's because the topic is difficult and there's probably a hierarchy of things which are hard to disclose here. Um, generally speaking in society, people seem to find it quite easy to talk about sleep. Um, I'm really not sleeping well last night. I didn't, I, I had an awful night. I'm going to have to take the day off. That seems to be kind of acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if people said, I'm, I'm just feeling very anxious at the moment, I'm feeling low in mood, um, or that could, that's quite challenging. I think that if it's something to do with your family, interpersonal relationships, if it's to do with fi- finance, that can be really difficult to talk about for people, uh, especially if they're, let's say they have a role in finance and they're saying, well, my financial situation is causing me a lot of stress. That, that could put them in a very vulnerable place. But also I think it's important to think about people with serious mental illness, such as schizophrenia or psychosis, like to somebody to be able to say, look, I'm having intrusive thoughts um, that are, are causing me a lot of chance. There is probably a hierarchy on this, and, and that probably matches onto how the stigma applies to, on the different areas. Um, I think, again, it comes back to, one, we must acknowledge this, but two, we must empower people to have conversations um, and to uh, help people to ask properly, like, how are you, and really mean it, and, and ask it twice even in a conversation, make space in conversations, help people to know how to listen. Human beings are remarkably bad at listening well, um, and it's not something we really teach ourselves to do. Typically, a, bad, a, good, a good example of a bad listening would be someone saying, oh, I've had a really tough day. And then the person listening says, oh, so have I. And they think that by saying they also have had a bad day, that somehow that's kind of making the other person feel good. Well, actually, it's awful because you've taken the conversation away from that person. Mm. The right response would be more like, I'm sorry to hear you've had a bad day. Um, so I think helping people to listen well is really important. And, I, and then again, I think also really educating people about mental health. Because for those who don't know about the topic, they might just feel quite bamboozled or scared to have to engage in it as a topic but if we can help to educate that actually mental health is made up of biological factors psychological factors social factors so every aspect of your life will impact on your mental health and that there are common mental health problems that there are places you can signpost people for care and support um, i think that level of education can really help empower people to talk about mental health but again coming back to my earlier point like this needs to be really continuous because we can't expect people to remember this stuff on an ongoing basis yeah, that's why I'm such a big fan of, um, you know, people going through like mental health first aid training or people educating themselves on this because every single person has mental health and training yourself up, understanding how to listen to your own needs, understanding how to disclose how you're feeling to yourself, even just tapping into the raw emotions that we've all been experiencing over the last few years. Like, you know, I know I have better weeks if I sit down and reflect and journal and give myself space to think out loud. You know, I I can't always wait for like a monthly therapy session. I know I need to be doing that work myself. So, just because I've got the tools and I know that I should be doing this doesn't always mean that I do. And I think that's what I would love to see more from a, a society. Like you said, why has it become so easy to talk about sleep? <laughs> why can't we talk about, you know, why can't we talk about mental health in the same way? And um, so, yeah, like, I really want to spend some time on this before we start telling managers to go have this conversation about, like, go talk about mental health, because I just wanted to acknowledge that the, the self-disclosure is also a huge challenge. Yeah, but, 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 but maybe I, I, would, I would challenge you a little bit on that because, um, because you, you kind of like, um, the way I heard it was like, almost like we separate sleep, well, that's sleep. But actually, my challenge would be let's, let's, let's embrace all of that as mental health. Mm. Um, it used to frustrate me, frustrate me when I used to see um, – Nintendo did the brain training games 
And yep. um, and I always thought, in a way, what they had done is that they'd taken some of the coolest bits of mental health and kind of made it not mention mental health at all. And and actually, what we've got to do with mental health is is help people to understand the good is also mental health because that helps us to break the stigma. Mm. You know, like I know for, I love running, um, and uh, I know that my mindset or my attitude, my my the way I think about when I'm feeling exhausted in a run in my mindset about breaking through that exhaustion and keep going is a mental health topic. You mm. know, um, my ability to focus really well is a mental health topic. My ability to communicate really effectively is a mental health topic. When I'm feeling happy, that is mental health. When I'm laughing, that is mental health. I want, I, I want us to somehow like expand the territory that we claim when we talk mm-hmm. about mental health, because that's how we'll help to normalize the top conversation. And that's how we'll help to break the stigma. I don't think it's easy to break the stigma by trying to continually like look at the challenging aspects and try and break the stigma just around that. I think we need to get people to recognize, actually, if we can say, hey, I slept really well last night and it's good for my mental health. You know, if we can somehow get people to start bringing yeah. the positive to the language of mental health, that will help us break the stigma. And then I think leaders can do the same. I know um, there's a lot historically that's been spoken about how powerful it is and normalizing it is when executives or leaders in businesses speak openly about their experience with mental ill health. And I agree with that. I think it is really powerful. But I also have this dream that wouldn't it be great if leaders stood up and said, um, you know, this weekend I slept really well. I spent time with um, my loved ones and um, I felt a real sense of purpose in my work and my mental health, therefore, this week is feeling really good. You know, because that that also helps to to tie, to weave mental health into every aspect of, of, of life in the way that it should be. Yeah, you know, we want our brain firing together so it wires together, right? We want those things to be connected. We want to know that, like, yes, like sleep is mental health. This is a part of these other things and yeah. actually start connecting that all into that. And, like, it's kind of like the the yes end, like, yes, I slept well and it's good for my mental health or no, I didn't. Exactly. That's not good. Like, being able to kind of connect those things together. And I think, you know, for, for people listening, yeah. maybe that's a nice way to start to, you know, have some of those conversations is to think about all of the other aspects when you think about your own well-being and how you're feeling in your emotions and include mental health as part of that conversation. Yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's, that is, I think, a really important step. And, and, and if we educate leaders around that and managers particularly or, or champions in the workplace or employees in the workplace, then, then hopefully that can weave itself more into everyday work conversations. So, on the subject of, I guess, some of this changing of perceptions and the language and the workplace, I know um, in the in the men's mental health charity that I co-founded, a lot of our initial campaigns were really about knowing that on one side over here, there is, um, you know, three, uh, free therapy and things that you can see and you can go see a doctor. Then all the way on the other side is a lot of, uh, and, we, you know, my campaign focused on Australian men over here who weren't willing to, like, even acknowledge that there was an issue. So, what we were trying to do is not say that- we need, um, you know, we couldn't keep telling them that there was free resources, but we had to tell them that it's okay to even talk in the first place. And I think there is still this a lot of stigma in mental health in society. I'd love to maybe focus this conversation on stigma inside of the workplace about this topic. You know, you're trying to get organizations to make, you know, both a, a commitment as well as a financial commitment to increasing the mental well-being of employees. What is some of the stigma that you're still trying to fight when it comes to actually, you know, bringing things like Unmind into an organization? I think it's changing rapidly. And I think that's really encouraging. You know, we're seeing now CEOs of 
top organizations talking about mental health. And President Biden at the State of the Union address spoke about mental health on that stage. You know, we're seeing it's more normalized now for leaders to speak about this. But I still find it periodically I have a conversation with a leadership team and I'm struck by how far away their mindset is around this topic to where I had hoped the conversation had got to across all com- leadership teams. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's really important to remain really compassionate, remain really um, uh, kind of positive in taking those leaders on the journey to understand the topic better. Um, because I think once people get it, once people understand what you're trying to do with helping people to flourish at work, it becomes really obvious. Like it, it's actually, if you help someone understand, well, look, you're, you're, and people understand this intuitively, but it's worth digging into a bit more. Your most valuable asset as a business is your people. Do you think your business will be more successful if your people are well or unwell? Uh, to which obviously it's well, right? Mm-hmm. Fine. Well, currently your people are not well because the evidence shows that. And you as an organization can help not only foster a culture that helps them to be well, but also provide them with tools to look after their well-being as well. Um, and and by doing so, your business will be more successful. Do you want to take part? And then it's obvious, like, well, of course, of course I do. So it's, like, it's a kind of, it's an education piece. And then, and then I think it's about helping people. I still think generally, if you go up to the average person on the street and you say, what's mental health? Generally speaking, people don't have a good paradigm to describe or framework to describe it and so i think it's helpful to get people to understand that mental health is all consuming part of human life and uh, is impacted by multiple factors and that we can actually maintain and look after our mental health in the same way we do our physical health Um, and i think taking that educational journey is really the route to breaking the stigma i personally have a real bugbear with seeing kind of black and white images of people holding their head in their hands uh, to represent mental health because I've worked in, uh, as a clinical psychologist, many healthcare settings over the years. I've worked with some extremely unwell people, um, and I've never seen anyone in black and white. So I don't know at what point we decided to represent mental illness with black and white images. Um, But also, I don't like the characterization of like sitting in the corner with your head in your hands, because again, I think it slightly mischaracterizes the reality of it. I think that human beings are immensely complicated and wonderful, and, and we need to try and understand the complexity of individuals and and part of that is recognizing that actually somebody can have crippling anxiety but still you might see them standing in a busy environment talking to someone um and equally it's possible to have a mental illness but have it in control and be Mm -hmm. a really valuable contributing member of society so i think there's a risk that sometimes we uh we accidentally characterize people with mental illness as therefore being unproductive or not valuable or not engaged in society and that that also is not really a, a an appropriate characterization so i think we need to approach this topic with maturity recognize the the, the um complexity um and have a commitment to the agenda that we're promoting um, and know that it is explainable to people. And once they hear it, they engage in it. And that helps break the stigma for other people as well. I'm very like, I'm very much a storyteller. You just mentioned some stories that we've heard about mental health, this idea of the black and white images or the like the things. And like, yes, I could not agree more. I was literally imagining like someone standing on a bus smiling. I'm like, that person is just as representative of someone who is suffering from mental health as someone sitting on, on the end of their bed who, you know, can't leave the house. And I'm wondering, 
you know, are there any stories that you're using that are helping people better understand this? Like, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm just making this up on the spot. If, you know, anxiety and depression has increased by 25%, if we're telling people that, you know, 25% of your workforce doesn't have access to 100% of their laptop battery every single day because they just don't have access to tap into that, would you want to actually increase their battery? Like, are there any new stories that we should be telling to help leaders better understand that this is real and that they should be doing something about it? I really like metaphor because I think it's helpful to help people understand. There's a whole world of like uh, multiple books written about the role of metaphor in therapy and, and mm. how impactful it can be. And um, I we we've talked a lot on our mind over the years about kind of giving people a toothbrush for their mind. You know, like I often give talks and I'll say to people, you know, at the very start of the talk, I'll get everyone to stand up and I'll say, "If you brushed your teeth this morning, now sit down." And then everyone sits down and I say, "Isn't it interesting that we've all made." two, three minutes this morning to brush our teeth, but how many of us can say the same about our mind? But what's more important, your teeth or your brain? And it's like kind of like just highlighting gently the kind of that as a society we might have we might be playing this a little bit wrong. I think that's that's really important. And then the other thing I think that is helpful to point out, because as a psychologist, I've had definitely had situations where some people will say they'll hear what I they hear I'm a psychologist and they'll almost say, Oh well I better hadn't talked to you as though you'll kind of like have a Jedi power um which you know i would love to have that but i don't but but i think um what i think is interesting is that there might be a perception that mental illness is easy to see um but Mm. it's really not and human beings are incredibly good at hiding it um it was so human beings are the most wonderful things you know we're such a remarkable species and but we are really, really complex and we're really good at hiding how we're feeling. So I think it's under, it's really helpful to get people to understand that you can't see mental illness and you can't necessarily see somebody's state of mental health. Um, and that's why language and conversation is so valuable in helping to give people space to open up. That's why it's important in the workplace to create psychological safety, to enable people to be able to be themselves, to share what might be going on in their inner world. On that subject of psychological safety, um, you know, I think it's a term that gets used a lot and there's probably leaders who have read some article and gone, yeah, I need to increase psychological safety on my team. And then like they stress and they, and they freak out because they don't know how to do it, which only leads to, you know, increasing their own anxiety and stress. So, do you have any practical advice for leaders who are wanting to create a psychologically safe team? I think it's definitely worth checking out the new ISO standards around this, um, which hopefully brings parity with the, the physical health standards in the workplace. Um, uh I think investing in measuring and understanding. I know something that our mind we're passionate about and it's something a culture app you're passionate about. We both have a real commitment to that measurement piece and excited about our partnership um, there as well. I, I think that to measure, understand, really help people to understand how to think about their own mental health, how to think about others' mental health, uh, and then educate to increase awareness of how to actually act on that understanding. Um, and, and, you know, f- for me, that kind of, measure understand act kind of link is really critical um within teams so as a leader you should always be thinking about how can you understand this better well how can you measure this how can you understand it better and then how can you act on it and there's so many tools available um around mental health and um it, you know i would i would encourage organ any leader in a business to really understand what is the mental health strategy um what are the tools and services available and how can they kind of use those and leverage those in, in their role as a leader 
Yeah, and I think that's where our organisations are very much aligned because, you know, Culture Rams had that same philosophy about measure, understand and act for a long time is, you know, measure what's happening inside of your organisation, understand the nuances of it, dive, you know, dive real deep in, into that data to understand all of the different cuts that you can see and the drivers and then ultimately act, do something, sit, make sure that your employees know that when they share that their voice and their opinion that things change because of it. And I think, you know, that's it can sound simple at times, but like at the end of the day, you know, committing to change is an incredibly hard process, but that doesn't mean that, you know, we shouldn't be doing it. And and actually, interestingly, that works across a business when you think about the whole organization and how we create psychological safety, et cetera, but it also works for the individual as well. Like a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy and the various iterations of CBT, which are known as like third wave CBT, um, are also predicated on that measure, understand, act, you know, that, that, that model is so key and learning is a central component to this, you know. Um, it's quite interesting, isn't it? If you think about um, being a human being is complex, um, but we don't really get an instruction manual with it. Um, so um, I think it's a really important thing to uh, to build the habit of continually self-discovery and self-understanding and not only about ourselves, but also it's, it's like the I, the we and the all and recognize that how can you understand yourself better? How can you understand others better? And how can that understanding create a better environment for all of us? That's a great segue into my next little section, which I've called this chapter of the episode, The Challenges of Managing Humans. I was reflecting on, on the challenges of just the team dynamic and this idea of creating enough safety in order for people with opposing feelings to be able to communicate what they're experiencing at the same time. So, for everyone listening, I'll give you an example. You know, Let's say that there's two members of your team and one of these people on your team right now is struggling. You know, They're having a really hard time. And they don't know if they can talk about it because they don't want to feel like that they're stuck in the past, that they're reflecting on things that have already happened and they don't want to bring others down with, with these current feelings. You know, maybe this is to do with some of the ambiguous loss from the workplace. Maybe it's to do with other things going on in their personal life. But for whatever reason, they don't feel like like talking about it is the right things. They don't want to bring down the rest of a team in a team meeting. In that very same team meeting, you might have another person in that team who has kind of got through the last few years. They've moved on. They're doing quite well right now. They feel really well. They're also fe- fearful of talking about it because they don't want to feel like that they're gloating or that they're partaking in toxic positivity. I'd love to know, do you have advice for a leader who wants both of these voices to feel comfortable in sharing what they're experiencing within the same team? That's a great question. It's a really interesting question, that, isn't it? Um, we're social animals, human beings. So, we will, we will to an extent, often be a chameleon based on the environment we find ourselves in. And it might be appropriate if somebody's really struggling not to then share that you're doing really well. So I think that that, and, and you might also know outside of that team meeting some context um, and therefore withhold something you might be feeling. Uh, the ideal that, of course, we all can aspire to is that you walk in as a team and everybody is able to explain exactly how they feel. And I think some basic things like as the leader in that group, modeling the behavior that you're hoping to see, um, making sure that when things are good for you, you're sharing that, but equally when things are not good for you, you're sharing that as well. Um, I think really making space for people to speak is important. And um, there are some amazing things that uh, you can take from kind of group work and group therapy, for example, around um, you know, having silence where people are allowed to speak and no one else is allowed to interrupt for like two minutes and 
that really gives people opportunity. But that can be quite anxiety, especially if you're not in a very good place um, to try and do that. But um, so I think try and find what works for you and your team. Um, I think I, I know I'm a bit of a stuck record here, but like really empower people by educating them about um, how to communicate well, about how to listen well, about how to understand one another. Um, there's an amazing philosopher called Martin Buber who wrote a book called Iron Thou, which is uh, a lovely concept. And it's a complex book, but on the very end, so I'll slightly trash it in my description here, I suspect. But 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 what I like about it is it, is, it essentially talks to how human beings have two states um, on Earth. They have, a, in terms of relationships, there's I and it. So, for example, I and it is me and my headphones it's uh me and my dog it's me and the bus you know i that's i and it and then there's this other relationship that human beings have on earth which is i and thou which we can only have with other human beings because we see in them what we recognize in ourselves it's an equal like we are mm. we are we are unique on earth together um and that in a way speaks to with hopefully if, if we're able to operate in that state and really recognize the thou and the other person we're with, it, it should put us in a compassionate state um, because we recognize in our own lives how complex our lives are and how challenging they can be. And being able to create an environment where when we're with others that we're truly with them, we're present with them and we're recognizing them as an individual and their uniqueness um, and respecting their description of their lives in any given time. That's kind of the ideal place we want to get to. But of course, life is busy and um, and it's hard sometimes to be present with others. So maybe there's something in that team session to really help people to be present with one another in that session so you could start it with a say a two-minute mindfulness exercise to get everyone in the present moment you know um what we know about the human brain is a great time traveling device we're either thinking about the future or thinking about the past and not always in the present moment so maybe trying to get everyone to be really present with one another and be compassionate and listen to one another as well yeah i the term that I use um, is like this idea of being a, a generous listener. You know, what would it look like to be incredibly generous with your listening within that team meeting? And also, like, I guess removing some of that language around saying, like, I don't want to bring the team down with this or, like, I don't want to, like, gloat. It's also just like, like, the, like both of these things are true. Within the same team meeting, you know, like, you know, we will see, we'll, we'll mirror some of the behaviors that we're seeing. We will see the positive when people are sharing the positive and be reminded that there's things that we're experiencing that are full of joy and that there's things of sadness and there's things of despair and hope and other things that we're trying to cling on to. And how can we hold all of these things together? And I think that's what makes work so complex right now is that like we're actually talking about, they're like, we're on a, we're on a podcast that is, you know, a management podcast according to Apple and Spotify. And we're talking about these things. We're talking about how complex it is to be human. And, you know, that's why managers have this beautiful but also challenging role right now is that they're trying to find space for this. Yeah, I agree. Isn't it interesting? And in a way, one of the things I think that came from COVID, and again, I want to be careful about recognizing that lots of different people have different journeys on this. But I think one of one of the things that potentially came for some was that there was a a greater blend between work and life that integration became more natural um we all got used to seeing children in the background amazon deliveries um you know the doorbell ring the boiler being fixed people in their pajamas all of that stuff and we suddenly remembered actually that we are human beings and and we have this busy life going on outside of work and 
I, I hope that that gets carried on because I think it's healthy because it allows people to to bring their whole self to work. And you know, whilst I think this is a, um, I, 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 it's a slight, you know, there's, there's limitations to what I'm about to say, but it's it's interesting. I think it was Schopenhauer who said, "To live is to suffer." Mm. Um, and it speaks to the fact that life is actually really hard a lot of the time and, and things are, comp- you know, as much as we celebrate and have joyous moments and great, great experiences, there's often a lot of struggle. There's a lot, a lot of kind of friction or strife and challenge in life. And, and maybe because work and life are better integrated in some ways, we're better able to bring that, that suffering into our day-to-day conversation and the, fr- the points of friction or challenge that we might be experiencing but again, it does rely on that psychologically safe environment by which to do so. So, yeah, and I think just ig- acknowledging that, that that's true, and I think it's like to the organisations that are out there, you know, if you're not listening to your employees, then basically you're not acknowledging that to live is to suffer. To know that there is experiences happening inside of your organisation that you're just choosing not to listen to, and that there's things that you could be doing to actually have a better, like create a better employee experience for those people. And like listening to their needs, acknowledging it, using language. I think that's why these conversations are so important is that, you know, at an organizational level, leaders can be doing things to create safer workplaces for humans. And then humans also at that very core level just need to acknowledge that, you know, to live is to suffer and that emotions are real and that we don't always need to feel ready to be that perfect Zoom check-in at nine o'clock in the morning every day. Like we don't always have to be bubbly that we're allowed to bring some of these things in as long as the organizations and the teams are ready to meet us halfway and have that conversation with us. That's right. And it's like, it's yeah, obviously like we want our people to flourish. I mean, on a very basic level, like that's what we should all want because not only is that brilliant for our people, but that's brilliant for our businesses. And in order for our people to flourish, we need to equip them to flourish both as individuals and within the culture of their organization. Um, it's, it's just a no brainer that this should be a business priority. So I've got two questions to bring us home. One is a one that you know nothing about that's very fun and part of my deep research I do on guests and one that will be a little bit more about the conversation that we've had today. But imagine that you and I are having another conversation in, in it's October, month of October 2023. In an ideal state, what does the world look like? What are the conversations that we're having? How have we become better at all of the challenging things that we just spoke about? 2023 i mean I, I i think this wouldn't be possible in a year but i hope it would be like well first off i hope the world at large is is being more stable and secure and safe and all of those things um and then i hope within organizations we see that the shackles of stigma that have held the topic of mental health have fallen away even further um that we see um a really mature approach to understanding human wellness in the workplace that we um are measuring understanding and acting when it comes to both employee mental health and organizational uh well-being um and that we can proudly demonstrate the progress that we're making um and have ongoing commitment from the leaders we need to to go on the next journey or the next chapter to use your word that we're, we're planning and then to bring it all the way home, and that, let's hope we can get there. We've got 12 months, everyone listening. We all have to play our part. Now, this is a, a fun little question to end on because we've, we've had some serious conversations, some powerful conversations here. As part of my research on guests, I try to listen to as much as possible to find one little weird nugget about them that I can kind of bring up. So, you have that moment where you're like, when the hell did you learn that about me? So, 
<laughs> what I would like to know is my final question to you today is which Radiohead song taught you the most about you and how you oh, see the world? That is a great question. I love that you know I'm a Radiohead fan. Um, so um, I like to joke that that um, Radiohead taught me that sadness is also beautiful in places. Um, but you know, it wasn't a song as much that changed my life with Radiohead. It was when I met my wife, Mary, we listened on repeat in Rainbows, the mm. album by Radiohead. And it's the kind of song that we, the album that we fell in love to. Um, and I once then found myself at Glastonbury Festival and I walked past Tom York and I, I went out, who's the lead singer of Radiohead. And I, and I, I, I never do this. I never got to famous people. I'm not really very interested in it. But I went up to him and I shook his hand and I said, Tom, thank you so much. You know, your music's changed my life. And I fell in love to my wife listening to him rainbows. And uh, he was really sweet about it. You know, I said, oh, thanks. That's really great to hear. And off I went on my way. But I've always been glad. I've always been really grateful that I was able to express to him the impact that Radiohead had for me. I'm so glad we're not ending this episode of you saying I met my hero and it like it, it was a disaster, <laughs> which I think is, <laughs> is the experience many people have sometimes. No, thankfully not. I am. Um, I'm, I'm glad you were pleasantly surprised by that. And yes, there is definitely um, sadness can um, be beautiful. And I think a lot of the deep reflective music that I find myself uh, listening to when I was trying to tap more into my emotions, especially when I was going through some of those things with my family. And when I was learning about the impact of depression on members of my family, it was like very much uh, bands like Bright Eyes, City in Colour, uh, things like that that really got me to really tap into the, the, those raw emotions. So w- when I learned that you were a Radiohead fan and you had to squeeze in one little question about uh, you know <laughs> how their um, how, how their work has impacted you, amazing! I love it. And but I was listening to Bright Eyes yesterday, by the way, thinking how you know great they are, and I haven't listened to them for a while. So. Nick, thank you so much for joining me on the Culture First podcast. Um, you know, Culture Amp and Unmind are very much aligned and creating a better world of work together and i just want to say thank you for all of the work that you're doing and for being a guest on the show today thank you so much for having me on it's been lovely speaking with you a big thank you to dr nick for joining me on the culture first podcast as i was writing my reflections for this episode I kept coming back to my personal mantra. My personal mantra is that we are all one conversation away from changing the rest of our lives. Now, when I say conversation, this could be a conversation that you just have with yourself. This could be a conversation where you are talking about your own level of mental well-being with a friend or with a colleague. It could even be a conversation that you need to be having with your entire organization about how to create a mentally well workplace. No matter what type of conversation that you're having, if it's about the subject of mental health, then it's an important one to be having. Rightly or wrongly, the organization and this concept of work is increasingly a place where people are finding meaning. And let's be honest, we're spending more time at work than ever before. So it's imperative that we're building culture-first organizations where we can be talking about this subject. I really do hope that this is a conversation and a podcast episode that encourages you to be that person who starts a conversation in your workplace. But also, and in my belief more importantly, 
I hope this starts a conversation for you. Just for you listening. I hope this is an episode that makes you stop and think, you know, what does it mean for me to be mentally well? What do I need to be doing in my personal and professional life in order for me to be honest about the experience that I'm having within the workplace? So I hope this this episode has been a conversation starter for both yourself and for the organizations that you represent. If you do want to learn more about that Unmind and Culture Amp partnership that I mentioned at the start, head over to the announcement section on the Culture Amp website where you can read more. If you've enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to leave a review with any of your takeaways. And if you're brand new to the show, thanks so much for dropping by. Please make sure you subscribe and that you follow so that you don't miss any of our brand new episodes coming out. So that's it. That wraps up this episode where we talk about creating a mentally well workplace. I've been your host, Damon Klotz, and the Culture First podcast is brought to you by CultureAmp, the world's leading employee experience platform. Thanks so much for listening and have a great rest of your day.